Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Hey friends, welcome back to our study of the book of Philippians. This week we're in chapter 3 as we continue to study this partnership in advancing the gospel. And if you remember, we have said that when we say advancing, we not only mean advancing the gospel out into our community and into our world, we also mean allowing the gospel to be advanced in us, that we might grow to look more like Jesus, that we might grow to know him more. That's actually where we are this week in chapter 3. Paul has been setting up examples for the Philippians of people who look like Jesus, people who are following Jesus. And he encourages them to imitate them or to walk like them. Do you know this, that you can predict a person's walk um, based upon your familiarity with it? Uh, For instance, those in your family, you can kind of predict who's coming down the hallway based upon the noise and uh, the the feel, even the vibration of their walk. I I know this is true of my family. Uh, If someone's running down the hallway, I can usually predict within a, I don't know, 98% accuracy, the statistics made up, uh, of which one of my kids it is. My, my wife's usually not running down the hallway. And, and the reality is, is that biometric studies are showing that within about a 92 to 93% accuracy, uh, biometrics are able to determine the identity of a person based upon their walk, uh, the stride, that the, the length of their stride, the, the way that their head rises and falls, uh, kind of the wavelength of their walk. It's incredible. It's also a little bit scary. Um, But the reality is this, our walk at times can determine our identity. Now, this is true when Paul talks about our walk in following Jesus as well. So Paul has set up three examples of individuals who have followed Jesus. Uh, We saw last week in chapter two that Paul says, hey, look to Timothy. He does not seek his own interests, but he seeks after your interests. Hey, look at Epaphroditus. He's someone I'm sending to you. You know him. He is someone who's willing to die so that the gospel might be advanced. Both of them are set up as an example. And now in chapter 3, Paul's going to set himself up as a third example of someone who is mimicking Christ. Or the way we put it in chapter 2 is that we want to reflect on Jesus in order to reflect Jesus. Uh, Remember back to chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. It's back there that we said that over and over again, Paul called us to look at Jesus and then reflect him. So we saw in Jesus, in chapter 2, verse 5, that our mindset should be the same as that of Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider that equality with God something to be seized or held on to, but instead he emptied himself and he became like one of us in the form of one of us. He became in the form of a servant. And he came obedient to death. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Well, Paul uses much of that same language from chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, in these three examples of individuals who are reflecting Jesus. We reflect on him to reflect him. Chapter 3 is this mere reflection where Paul is going to look an awful lot like the walk of Jesus. And in chapter 3, verse 17, he's going to say, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. Now, I hope this is true for you, and I know at times it can be intimidating, but that as we walk with Jesus, as we come to know him more, 
And then as we come to walk like him more, my hope is, is that others can look to you and look to me and say, that's what it looks like to strive to walk like Jesus. Now, you're probably like Paul saying, I need to press on. Uh, There's still more maturing to, to be done. And Paul says, this race is not yet done. I'm not yet complete. This is not fulfilled. And, and so there's, there's a challenge here, as well as some comfort in the grace here, that uh, we don't have to have it all together. In fact, in chapter 3, what you'll discover at the very beginning is Paul's going to contrast himself with those who really do feel like they have their, their act together. They put confidence in the flesh or confidence in kind of these status symbols that they have that say, um, you know, that they have achieved or arrived at some point in time. So let's look at chapter three. Here's what we'll discover at the very beginning. Paul's going to encourage them to rejoice in the Lord. In fact, you'll notice that joy in the book of Philippians is always coming from the Lord or from the fact that others are coming to the Lord and, uh, and we rejoice in that. Paul encourages them to rejoice in the Lord. And then he tells them to look out for, and it's kind of an odd phrase, but these dogs, these mutilators of the flesh. Well, there's a little bit of a, a play on words there um, because those are the groups that Paul was confronting who circumcised, who considered circumcision a part of a necessity in order to be faithful to God, completely faithful to God. So they were saying, sure, come to Jesus, but you also need to be circumcised and become fully part of the Jewish community. Well, Paul was confronting that throughout his ministry as he traveled around the Greco-Roman world. And here again, he confronts them and he calls them their least favorite animal, I'm sure. Uh, He calls them dogs. Now, some of you love dogs. I don't. My kids keep asking for a dog, but we're not going to get one. I tell them when they're 18, they can get a dog and they can also move out. Um, but, But Paul calls them dogs. They're unclean. And, and yet at the same time, notice the irony a little bit later, the very things that they're bragging about as confidence in the flesh, this circumcision, uh, it, the word there is to cut around. And yet Paul plays with that word and says, um, yeah, you're a mutilator of the flesh. And so he's very much confronting them and, and showing them to be in opposition to the gospel. What does Paul want to do? He wants to advance the gospel. And what they want to do is they want to add to the gospel. So Paul, in his confrontation, is going to take and, and play their game. He's going to say, I can play that game. I mean, if you want me to play that game, let's, let's play the title game. And he says, you know, throughout verse 4, he says, I have reason to put confidence in the flesh if anyone thinks that they have reason to put confidence in the flesh. And he goes on, he says this, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I can play your game. I was of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. Uh, by the way, that's the tribe King Saul was from. Paul's name originally was Saul. Uh, So I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, I was a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. So Paul says, I can play that status game. But here's what I want you to see. Is that in this very moment where Paul has established his status as being higher than theirs, he is going to, like Christ, say, but that status was not something I was going to hold on to. You see, what he's doing is he's doing the opposite of what we typically do in our world. In our world, we show our status in order to gain an advantage over someone else. That seems to be what's true of these dogs, these mutilators of the flesh, these evildoers. 
Those who are using their external status symbols, and in the ancient Roman world, it didn't matter. The Jewish people used things like circumcision and festival days and cleanliness laws to show that they were holier or that they were righteous. But others would use other symbols as well to show that they were more elite in status than others. Philippi knew this well. It was a military background town. They knew status symbols quite well. But Paul says, no, I have the status symbols, but I'm going to consider them rubbish. And this word rubbish is interesting because trash, this word, is what you would throw to the dogs. You want to play this game? Well, all of those status symbols you're living for, I have all of them. And yet I consider them trash to be thrown out. If that's what you're interested in, dogs, that's what you can go ahead and go eat and consume yourselves with. Now, ironically, uh, we're up here recording in my office, which is also my garage, and it's up here in the attic where I'm at right now, um, where we keep a Rubbermaid tub of all of my old trophies and trinkets. My Letterman jacket is in there. It's kind of gross. There's a few other things as well that I have from football and from basketball uh, from over the years, even through college, not from athletics, but more from academics. I have an article I published for the first time in a magazine in there. There's a reason why it's in the attic of our garage, because it's junk. Those titles, those things really at some point in time lose their value and no longer matter. Paul says this about his titles. Ultimately, they have no value. If it's really us just playing the status game with one another. But think about how we do this with each other. We do this in our world when it comes to work or even parenting when we post on social media. We do this in how we dress. We can do this in church as well. Um, We can do this. Which church do you attend? Oh, I attend here. What ministry team do you serve on? Uh, What stage do you get on? We can do this in crazy ways, even in the the smallest ways um, of what versions of the Bible do we happen to use. We can have these external status symbols that we have. What kind of car do we drive? We can do it religiously. We can do it secularly. But what Paul says is that none of these status symbols matter. Like Jesus, if we're going to walk like him, we lose those. We let go of those. We humble ourselves and become a servant. In fact, Paul's going to use much of that same language, again, that was used of chapter two of of Jesus. And one of the language... uh, parallels that he's going to use is that he's going to say, I became like Jesus in his death. That word like is the same word that was used of Jesus who became one of us. He was like or came in the form of a human. He came in the form of a servant. Now Paul says, no, I'm going to come and I'm going to have the form of Jesus in his death. Notice what Paul's doing. I'm going to give everything to Christ. Well, Paul says this in verse seven, whatever gain I had, I now consider, I count it as a loss for the sake of, here's the purpose, for the sake of Christ. I'm doing this in response to what Jesus has already done. I'm not doing this to earn any righteousness, unlike what they were doing with circumcision. I'm doing this because of what Christ has already done. I'm wanting to live like him. I'm doing this for the sake of Christ. Now, Paul's using a metaphor here from the marketplace, right? We're used to counting our losses and our gains. (laughs) Right now, we're used to counting our losses. But Paul says, no, I'm going to count my losses and gains. And all of these things that I thought were gains, they're just trash. They're rubbish. They're excrement. They're things that I want to throw out to the street for the dogs. But the thing that was the greatest gain, he goes on to say, I count everything a loss. If I'm going to count them as a profit or a loss, 
I count everything as a loss compared to the surpassing worth, this hyper worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Now, when Paul uses the word know, this is an intimate relational word. So it's not just knowing things about Jesus. By the way, that's another status symbol that we can kind of have is how much we know about Jesus. No, Paul wants to know him and in knowing him, live like him, respond to him. I've done this for the sake of Christ. This is a surpassing worth, knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He'll come back to that phrase of of knowing Jesus in just a moment. Paul says, for his sake, I've done this for him, not for me, not to gain glory for me. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and I count them rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And I wanna be found in him and I might be found in him, not having this righteousness of my own, which comes from works of the law, but a righteousness that comes through faith in Christ. I think Paul believed that when Jesus became obedient to death on a cross, that that is what allowed Paul to be declared righteous. When Paul put his faith in Christ, And and notice the grace in this. I don't have to achieve that. Jesus has already achieved it for me. So now I work out my salvation. I respond to it. But that righteousness has already been declared because of the righteous sacrifice of Jesus. Paul says, I don't have to have a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God from God that depends upon faith. Paul says in verse 10, I want to know him. I do this so that I might know him. And the power, notice how Paul is going to describe knowing Jesus right now. I want to know the power of his resurrection. And I want to share in his sufferings. I want to become like him in his death. So that all possible means, by all possible means, I might attain to the resurrection of the dead. There's a little bit bit of a poetic structure here where resurrection is on both ends of this poetic structure. And in the middle, Paul says, I want to be like him. There's that word form again. I want to come and I want to have the same form of Jesus, denying myself, humbling myself, being obedient even to death on a cross. Well, Paul's in prison right now. He is walking like Jesus. He is surrendering himself. Paul says, my life is being poured out like a sacrifice or a sacrificial drink offering. But Paul's life is also in the power of the resurrection. The more he lives with Christ and knows Christ, he knows that even through suffering and even through death, he can live in the power of the resurrection, the hope that he has that he cannot be defeated in this world because of the victory of Jesus. Boy, we want to know the power of the resurrection by coming to know Jesus more intimately. I love this about Paul. Paul recognizes in verse 12, however, that even as he has grown to know Jesus more, he's not yet arrived. And I think sometimes our perspective of Paul is that he's perfect, that he is somehow kind of this Jesus junior, that that somehow he is infallible as well. And Paul knows that that's not true of him. Paul has his own struggles. Paul has his own thorn in the flesh. Paul has his own moments where he cries out to God. And Paul says to the Philippians, I want you to follow me, but, but keep in mind, I have not yet fully arrived. I've not yet obtained this. I don't yet completely know Jesus as I one day will. But boy, I'm going to keep running toward that one day. That's where Paul goes in verse 12. Not that I've already obtained this or already been made perfect, but I press on. He's going to use that word twice. And I want to encourage you, pause here and encourage you, that sometimes pressing on is what we're called to do, to just keep running. Paul's going to use the metaphor of running. 
and no longer looking behind us at some of the distractions, whether that be our past mistakes, whether that be our past achievements, or even whether that be some of the people we are running with. We no longer run and look back behind us, but we focus on the goal that's ahead of us, which is knowing Christ more, the advancement of the gospel in us. So we press on right now when things are difficult. We press on when there are distractions around us. We press on toward the goal of coming to know Christ more, recognizing that we don't yet know him fully, but one day we will see him with completeness. Paul says, brothers, I do not consider that I, ha- that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, I forget what lies behind. I strain for what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those who are mature think this way. Throughout our study, we have encouraged you that part of advancing the gospel is becoming more mature in Christ, looking to Jesus and then looking more like Jesus. And in this, we also, by extension, advance the gospel to those around us who look at our walk and and see Jesus in us. That's my hope, is that as people see us walk, they go, is that, that sure looks like Jesus living through them. The church right now, I'm excited to say at times, is, is one of those, this is one of those moments where other people are looking to the church's response and the hope that we have, but also the care that we have, the compassion we have, the faith that we have. And, and at times they're able to look in and say, boy, they, they really do look like this Jesus that they proclaim to know. And I hope that our, our hope in the resurrection, the power of the resurrection, but also becoming like Jesus in his death, changes our gait, changes the stride of our walk and the wavelength of how we walk, that it changes our daily routines, our attitudes. Paul says, let your attitude, your mindset be that of Christ Jesus. He says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work out the natural implications of this Jesus that you proclaim to know. And if those things are true, it changes everything for us as we walk. Paul says, let us be mature. And then in verse 17, notice he says, okay, so join in walking according to this pattern. Join in walking and following after those who are mature. Maybe you have names of individuals. For the Philippians, it was Paul, it was Epaphroditus, it was Timothy that they could look to. And they could also look to Jesus. But they had these these examples that they could look to. My hope is, is you have some examples in your life as well who will encourage you and who also say, I have not yet arrived. Boy, I have a long way to go. Let me tell you about my marriage. Let me tell you about parenting. Let me tell you about work. Let me tell you about my anxieties, my fears, my stresses. Let me tell you about my doubts. But at the same time, you look to them and you go, that's what it looks like to walk a little bit more like Jesus than what I'm doing today. And so you get up and you mimic their walk. Paul says next, however, that there are also those who do not walk according to this pattern that we have in Christ. In fact, what he says in verse 18 goes all the way back to where we started in verse 1 and 2 of chapter 3. He says, but there are those who do not follow this mere pattern. They do not not reflect Jesus. And he says, I've often told you, and now again, I'm going to say it with tears. And I think this devastates Paul. What brings Paul joy? Remember verse 1? I rejoice in the Lord. But we also said what brings Paul joy is that those who are claiming to be followers of Jesus are looking more like him. They're growing in him. Well, now Paul says, here's what brings me sadness and tears. He says, I tell you now, even with tears, many walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. 
Many walk around and it's the opposite of the cross of Christ. Rather than taking their status and those things that elevate them in comparison with other people, and rather than letting go of those and emptying themselves of those, they grasp onto those. It's the opposite of Jesus. They grasp onto those and they look around and they compare themselves with others and they have this sense of self-righteousness, the sense of not needing the cross of Christ. No wonder they're enemies of the cross of Christ. If they are so good on their own, they don't need Jesus. You see, when we elevate ourselves, we devalue Jesus and our need for him. Well, they walk around as enemies of the cross of Christ. And notice what Paul says about them. Unlike the power of the resurrection, their end is destruction. Their hope is, is actually the opposite. And he goes on to say their God is their belly, they, their appetite, their desires. Notice they worship themselves and their own will. Their glory is their shame. This glory that they have in their status, it's actually going to be rubbish and it's going to turn out to their shame. It's the opposite of what happens in the story of Jesus in Philippians 2, 5 through 11. When he is obedient to death on a cross, God sees that humility and God rewards him. God exalts him. Now that's true throughout the Bible. God honors those who are contrite and humble. And so here, those who have gloried in themselves, it turns out to their shame. He says this, their mind is set on earthly things. And this is the opposite of us who are pursuing Jesus. We are pressing on. We're recognizing that this is not all there is, that this earthly existence, that this confidence in the flesh, that these status symbols that we have, that these are all temporary. We're pursuing a greater citizenship and a greater future. Paul says our citizenship is in heaven and we await. Notice Paul says we're pressing on and we're waiting. We await a savior from there the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the one who will transform this lowly body to be like his glorious body. Notice what we have. Here we have this, Jesus became obedient to death on a cross, therefore God exalted him. We have this power of the resurrection. Here's that promise again. God will take this lowly body and it will be transformed to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And then chapter four, verse one says, therefore, my brothers whom I love and I long for, notice what he says about them, my joy and my crown. What does Paul rejoice in? He rejoices in the Lord and rejoices in those people who are looking more like him. My joy and my crown. That crown is a victory crown we'll talk about next week. He says, stand firm to them. Stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. And that's my encouragement to you this week is that you also might stand firm, that you might press on to look more like Jesus and press on to come to know him more. What a great opportunity we have right now, an opportunity to reflect on Jesus and ask some questions about our faith in him. Do we know him? Do we know the power of his resurrection? And does that transform how we hope? And does that transform even our anxieties and our fears? That's where we'll go next week. Does that transform what we do and how we respond to other people with compassion and with love? Do we know him? Let's stand firm. Let's press on. And let's continue to reflect Jesus to those around us.
It's so good to be with you during these uh, few weeks as, as we have the opportunity to study together. And so this week, I just want to encourage you to go back and reread chapter 3 through the lens of a reflection of Jesus in chapter 2. It might be helpful to read those two sections together, Philippians 2, 1 through 11, and Philippians chapter 3, looking for all of the parallels of the ways that Paul is striving, pressing on to live like Jesus. And then ask the question, what are some of the things that I need to do to continue to look more like Jesus as I run my race and and press on and endure through this season right now? Again, we look forward to being with you next week. Go ahead and read chapter four if you're, if you're able to. We will reflect on particularly a couple passages where Paul talks about anxieties and fears and contentment. I think all of those will be relevant for us as we continue our study and conclude it over uh, next week. God bless. If you need anything, please reach out. I'll be emailing many of you as well, uh, but please let me know if there's anything we can be doing or praying for uh, for you. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.